Well, uh, let's go over to the Lord in prayer before we dig into his word. Father, we just sang it earlier. We desire that you receive all glory this morning. Nothing but your glory. Nothing. And we could say nothing but your glory because it's nothing but the blood of Jesus that allows us to have free access to you, Father. For that, we are eternally grateful. And I pray that we would live every second of every day in that joy and excitement and eagerness and and thankfulness for who you are and what you've done for us. God, forgive us when we forget, and we forget, at least I forget oh so often, who Jesus is and who I am in him and who what he has done for me. Let us be refreshed and reminded of the gospel every day, multiple times a day. Father, I pray that we would have a fresh appreciation of who you are this morning, that you are our shepherd, you are our host, you are our friend. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. If I ask you guys, And this is not a rhetorical question. I'd love to hear feedback. What is the most well-known psalm in the world? What would you say? That that was awesome. Is it up here? Did you guys cheat? No. Okay. Uh, Psalm 23. Yeah, easily the most well-known psalm in the Bible. And essentially, it is the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. It is beautiful. It's comforting. It's eloquent. It's beloved for a reason. It's most often quoted at at funerals, and I think that's why it's so dearly loved, because we affix the memory of our dearly loved departed ones to this psalm when we recite it at memorial services. But it is very well quoted, it's it's quoted often really in, in our culture, or maybe I should say misquoted. It's in movies such as Titanic, Pulp Fiction, uh, Pale Rider with Clint Eastwood, uh, Rooster Cogburn with uh, the great John Wayne. Uh, It's mentioned in several songs. I counted online at least 48 popular songs from musicians from everyone like Duke Ellington to Pink Floyd, from U2 to Tupac, from Keith Green to Kanye. Multiple songs it's quoted. It's quoted in books, poems, plays, politics. President Bush actually quoted Psalm 23 after 9-11 happened, if you remember that. So I think it is safe to say that Psalm 23 is extremely well-known. But just because it's well-known does not mean it's well-understood, even among Christians today. And so we're going to dig into this psalm, and I, I want us to just come at this with a fresh perspective, a fresh understanding. Pretend you have never heard this psalm before. So let's just dig into the text right now. So turn to Psalm 23. And I'm actually going to ask that, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or probably more appropriately, your Bible app. (laughs) If not, though, it'll be on the screen here. So Psalm 23 says, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You guys can be seated. Who wrote this psalm? Go ahead and shout it out. David. It says, a psalm of David, meaning David, the greatest king in Israel's history, wrote this. Now, we don't know when David wrote this. He could have written it before he was king. David was a shepherd himself, and so as a shepherd, if anyone understood sheep and the role of shepherds, it would be David. Perhaps he wrote this in the fields as he was tending to his flocks. Maybe he wrote it as he was sitting under a starry night. His flocks are there sleeping. He's just thinking, wow, God, as I am shepherd to these sheep, you are my shepherd. Maybe. Maybe he wrote it after he was coronated as king, but before he was, or excuse me, anointed as king before he was coronated, when his father-in-law Saul was trying to hunt down and take his life. You think, by the way, that you have in-law problems? <laughs> Your in-laws are probably not trying to kill you. He had some real in-law problems. Maybe he wrote it during that time. Maybe he wrote it after his son died because of his sins of adultery and murder. Maybe he wrote it after his, one of his other sons, Absalom, usurped his throne and was trying to also hunt him down and take his life. We don't know when he wrote it, but regardless, we knew that David knew very well about the valley of the shadow of death. And yet we see that David gives three powerful images of God in this psalm. He says, God is my shepherd, God is my host, and God is my eternal companion. Look at verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. The Lord is whose shepherd? My. Not the Lord is the shepherd. Not the Lord is his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord himself, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. How personal that is. I am part of God's flock. How awesome is that, right? This is an issue of identity. If you want to know who you are, you must know whose you are. You must know to whom you belong, and we belong to God. Amen? In a world of instability and wavering identity, in a world that is constantly changing and shifting and eroding with a false sandy foundation, this is crucial to understand. This is the rock that we set ourselves on, that by faith in Jesus, we belong to God. The Lord is my shepherd. It's so deeply personal. God is our good shepherd, and what does he do? He does four things in this text. He provides for us, he restores us, he leads us, and he sustains us. Look, look again in verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God provides for us. He meets our needs. So good shepherds are always thinking about the needs of their sheep, their flock, how to get them food, how to get them water, how to protect them, how to give them shelter. You know there's a difference between needs and wants, right? Parents, lift up your hands. 
you guys know better than anyone there's a difference between needs and wants. Like I said, our daughter Genevieve is three years old, and we literally just last week had to teach her this lesson. She was at the store with my wife, and they're there at the checkout aisle, and store managers are genius because they put all the, what do you call them, impulse buys right there at the checkout lane, right? So there's candy bars, there's gum, there's magazines, and then there are these little trinket toys, right? And so my daughter saw, I don't know, it was probably like a Sophia the First little yo-yo, or I don't remember what it was, some kind of toy, and she's like, mommy, get ahead of it, mommy, get ahead of it, please, 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 I need it, I need it, I need it, please, I need it so badly. And my, my wife had to go, no, you don't really need it. Actually, I think she bought it for her anyway, but uh, so... <laughs> kind of messing up the illustration. But anyway, she, she got home, and, and I was like, what do you got there? And she said, I, I got this toy because I needed it. And so my wife and I had a talk with her and said, no, there's a difference between want and need. You don't need this toy. You could actually go the rest of your life without having this toy, and I think you would live. You go the rest of your life without oxygen, food, water, shelter, love, then you're going to have issues. But you don't need this toy. So parents, you get that. Or I should say wives. If your husband ever comes home, I need this power tool. Say, no, you don't need it. There's a difference between needs and wants. And that's a hard lesson for us to grasp because it's a lesson of contentment. The Hebrew word for want here is the word chaser. It means to lack. So literally, David is saying, Lord, with you, I lack nothing. I'm completely content because, Lord, you satisfy me. And this is paramount to understand because the world tells us not to be satisfied. Oh, no, you need this, or you got to try this, or you got to experience this. You can't possibly be happy until you have this. And contentment in the Lord is actually vital for fighting temptations. I mean, think about it. The essence of temptation is that God is not enough. Sin is rooted in discontentment. Oh, you're not fully happy until you have this. Here, do this, try this, think this, say this, and then you'll be happy. God is lying. He, you're not going to have all your contentment in him. You really need this. You realize that, I found this out a couple of weeks ago, there is an actual psychological phenomenon that has largely come about from the advent of social media called, I kid you not, FOMO. F-O-M-O, FOMO, and it stands for fear of missing out. And psychologists, counselors are actually diagnosing their clients with this condition, FOMO. And here's how they define it. It's anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on a social media website. And so they're seeing people who are following social media and they're going, oh, what am I missing out? What if I'm, what if I'm missing out on this pleasure or this excitement or this happiness or this, this experience or this event? What, am I, what if I'm missing out? And they're just having a panic attack. They're filled with anxiety and worry and they're freaking out. Can I just tell you, listen, if you're afraid that you are missing out, you're not. You're not. There is nothing that God is withholding from you. In fact, those things are fleeting anyway. Everything we need is in Christ. And God will never fail to meet a true need that you have. So, God provides for us, but also God restores us. 
David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In the words of Pastor Steve, this is sheep language for poolside at a resort, right? Green pastures right next to a pristine, calm, beautiful lake. Doesn't that sound awesome? Just kick back and ah, this is the life for a sheep, right? That, that's what he's getting at. In fact, the way David structures this sentence suggests that God does something to cause us to lie down. Do you know what it takes for a sheep to lie down? How many of you have ever been around sheep? Sheep are skittish. They are fearful. They are timid. I, <laughs> I love scaring people, especially my wife. If I'm, at, if I'm at home at our apartment and I hear the keys jiggling and she comes in the door, I, love, I, I know this is not good husbandry, but I love to go, you know, right around the corner. She's like, ah, and her groceries go everywhere. I don't know why I do it. It's a sick sense of humor. But I love scaring people. You could do that very easily with a sheep. They're very skittish. And a sheep will not lie down unless a few of its physical needs are met. There must be drinkable water nearby. And in Israel, I've been there. The wilderness is desert. I mean, think Afghanistan. You've seen the pictures, the caves. It's like that. It's desert. Water is scarce. In fact, look at this picture here. This is in Israel. If you see, this, these are the green pastures in the midst of a desolate desert. The next picture shows in the midst of a dry, dusty canyon. Here's, here's a water source. Here's a, a pond. And so water is scarce, but a, a sheep needs drinkable water nearby. A sheep also needs to be well-fed. Green pastures means for a sheep an all-you-can-eat buffet. So drinkable water, well-fed, but also security, safety. A sheep must feel safe. They will not lie down with predators around. And David says the Lord causes us to lie down. How? Well, the shepherd's goodness and faithfulness provides assurance. Lying down shows that all my needs are met and I have confidence in my shepherd. Free from anxiety. Isn't it good to know that God is sovereign? That God is in control? Isn't that good to know? But God, I have this and this and this going on in my life. But God, I have this going on and I have these things and this and, and I'm freaking out. Listen, friends, you cannot meet your own needs and you cannot satisfy your longing for satisfaction. You weren't built to. And doing so will result in worry, fear, and anxiety. God's presence actually calms us. Okay, Lord, I know this storm is going on in my life, but I trust you. You got this. I'm just going to lie down right now, and I'm going to trust in you. It's a trust thing. God restores our souls because we trust in him. And folks, isn't the Lord trustworthy? Amen? He says, he restores my soul. Literally, in the Hebrew, this means he brings back livelihood, vitality. 
Sometimes a shepherd would have to nurse a sheep back to health if they broke a leg or if they were sick, and it was almost like they were bringing it back to life. And for some of you, you feel that you can't lie down, if you will, because of worry, stress, anxiety, difficult circumstances. Life has been sucked out of you. But the Lord breathes life into us. He refreshes us. He restores us. And we can depend on him. So God provides for us. He restores us. And third, God leads us. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for whose sake? His name's sake. Sheep without guidance will wander. They will. But a good shepherd will lead his sheep, and not just lead them, but lead them down the right path. God the shepherd is always leading. The question is, are we following? If so, then our lives should line up with what he desires. So here's God. He's a good shepherd, and he's leading us along. He's, he's guiding us, and we're, you know, we're following, you know, we're following in line. We're good sheep, but we wander, right? We veer. We're like, ooh, something shiny, and we get distracted. We're, we're like the dog from, you remember the movie Up by Pixar? My master is a good master. I love my master. Squirrel, right? We, we get so easily distracted, and we, so we wander, and we veer, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Look what it says. Don't lean on yourself. Lean on him. Don't trust in yourself. Trust him. Don't acknowledge yourself. Acknowledge him. And so the key is, if we're not going to wander in a beer, we must maintain our focus on the Lord and trust in his guidance. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel, and it was an unbelievable trip. And we were, went to the town of Bethlehem, and our tour guide, we're, we're coming outside the town of Bethlehem. He, he sees some flocks of sheep and goats on the hill, and, and there's some shepherds there, which was just a, a cool experience because, you know, 2,000 years ago, who were the first ones that saw Jesus born? Shepherds. I mean, who were the first ones that heard the birth announcement of Jesus? It was shepherds. I realize these weren't the shepherds, but it was just cool to see shepherds with sheep outside of Bethlehem. It was, it was uh, very poetic, I guess. And so uh, we, we stop and, and we get out, and he shows us this cave nearby that would look, look something like this. This is not the exact cave, but something like this. And he explains that a shepherd or shepherds would go into the cave, they would scope it out, make sure it's safe. And then they would bring in the sheep one by one. And shepherds really would not do this alone. Shepherds would kind of build a, a shepherd co-op, if you will. They would network together with other shepherds. That's why it says uh, in the nativity story that the angels appeared to shepherds in the fields with their flocks, plural, at night. A shepherd could not stay up all night watching his flock, and so they would pull their flocks together, and they would rotate who was on watch. And so... If they would get him in a cave like this, or if there wasn't a cave nearby, they would build a sheep pen uh, like this picture here. But either way, there would be one entrance in, one entrance out. There's only one, a, one way in, one way out. So 
Predators, if you're getting in, you got to go through the shepherds who are on watch. They would literally be like the door of the sheep. John 10, Jesus calls himself, I am the door of my sheep. Or if the sheep wanted to get out, there's only one way they get out, and that's through the shepherds. So they would stand there on watch. And then in the morning, the shepherds would line up, shepherd here, shepherd here, shepherd here, shepherd here. Let's say there are three or four. They would line up outside the cave or the sheep pen, and then they would each do a unique special call. Let's say a whisper, you know, whatever, or some kind of thing they're doing with their voice. And the sheep would come out of the cave or the sheep pen one by one, and they'd go directly, exactly to their shepherd because they knew their voice. Jesus says, my sheep know me. They hear and know my voice. And the only way that Jesus can lead us is if we know him, if we follow his voice. And so God guides us. He, He gives us direction. He leads us down right paths. Why? For his name's sake. For his glory. God is zealous for his glory. And if he is zealous for his glory and for our righteousness, then shouldn't we be also? I mean, even here in Psalm 23, we see that it is all about him. It's all about him. So God provides for us. He restores us. He leads us. And finally, God sustains us. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many of you are familiar with this verse? Let me ask, actually, how many of you are familiar with this verse in the King James Version? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's how I learned it. I, I grew up uh, really learning the King James Version, and so I learned that, this verse in that translation. And I always wondered, like, why does it say yay? You know, as a kid, I'm thinking, that doesn't sound exciting. Yay! That I get to go through the valley of the shadow of death. No, it's not what it's saying. It's actually a Hebrew participle that really could mean moreover. So David is saying, moreover, when I walk through the valley. Folks, it's not an issue of if you're going to go through difficult times, if you're going through the valley, but when. The Christian life is a blessed life. But that doesn't mean it's all peaches and creams, unicorns and rainbows. It can be difficult at times. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know this. In fact, he describes life sometimes as the valley of the shadow of death. Valley, shadow, death. Not really, you know, bright terms, right? This doesn't exactly sound fun. Hey, dear, uh, I'm thinking let's go hop in the car and let's do a getaway to the valley of the shadow of death. Right? That, that, That doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound nice. In fact, the imagery is that as you walk through this dark valley, The shadow of death is just around the corner, lingering, hanging over you. Potential death and demise at every turn. I think of the movie Princess Bride. Great movie, right? The fire swamp. Remember the fire swamp scene? They're walking through the fire swamp and like every little thing in the fire swamp can kill them. This is the valley of the shadow of death. It's difficult. It's perilous. 
And remember, David had seen some stuff in his life. He had seen some nasty stuff, and life can be nasty. Life can be hard at times. Life can be a beatdown. Sometimes it just seems like life has you under its knuckle and is just crushing you. And some of you are here this morning, and you're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Life is just beating you down. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your job is in dire straits. Your financial status is in question. You just lost a loved one. You just found out you have cancer. You, you just lost some friends. Whatever the case may be, you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. And David is using this kind of a phrase to describe the worst of the worst the worst. Even though I walk through the worst that life has to offer, I will not fear. Will not fear. How? How is that possible? Because the confidence comes from the fact that we don't go alone. We're not alone in this. Lord, I will not fear evil because you, O Lord, my shepherd, are with me. Church, listen, I've been in ministry, vocational ministry, for about 10 years. I think in August will be 10 years now, which isn't a long time. Pastor Steve, I think, has been in ministry three times that long. Not saying he's old, (laughs) he's just experienced. But I've been in ministry long enough, I have seen some horrific things. Seen church splits, seen marriages that seemed rock steady crumble. I've seen loved ones come and go. I've seen people betray me, the ministry, church, God, and and turn their back on, on Him and leave. When I was a youth pastor in Texas, this is early on, maybe a year into ministry. A couple of our girls, I think they were juniors or seniors in high school, their parents, who were some of the best youth parents I've ever had in my life, were going on a, a day trip uh, just to spend time with each other. And on that day trip, they get stuck in traffic on the interstate, and a semi truck, out of control, plows into them and kills them instantly on impact. What do you say to someone like that? Oh, God is sovereign. God's in control. Yeah, that's true. But in that moment, they were going through the valley of the shadow of death. Folks, ministry is hard. It is fun and it is exciting, but it can be hard. And as a side note, I would encourage you to pray for Pastor Dan. Pray for Pastor Steve, Pastor Dustin, myself, all the pastors that Pay for your staff here and our spouses because ministry can be hard. And Sometimes you go through the valley of the shadow of death and it'd be so easy for us to just give up. It'd be easy for us to cower and, and to buckle under fear. But the one thing that holds us up, the one thing that breathes courage into our backbone is the fact that the shepherd is with us. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. God is with us, carrying us, sustaining us. And David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
The shepherd's crook was not just used to prod the sheep and pull them in the right direction. It was used as a weapon of protection. David used it to fight bears and lions. And so when he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, he's saying, God, you fight my battles for me. God is not the petty officer in headquarters letting all his soldiers duke it out. God is the general on the front lines fighting for us. We are not alone in the fight. God's presence is with us, fighting for us, holding us up. And so his rod and his staff comfort us. So God provides for us, God restores us, God leads us, and God sustains us. Notice it's the Lord our shepherd doing all the actions here, right? He's making us lie down. He's leading us beside still waters. He's restoring our souls. He's leading us in paths of righteousness. He's doing everything. I don't know about you guys, but is that not comforting? The Christian life is not one of performance, but dependence. He is our shepherd, and we depend on him. So, God is my shepherd, but also, verse 5, God is my host, He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Obviously, the illustration has changed now. David is not talking about sheep. At least I don't think. If he is, that's kind of weird, having sheep at your dinner table. He's talking about really using the picture of God as our host, and we are invited to his table. We're his guests. So he has switched from talking about us being God's sheep to us being honored guests. Okay, wait, 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 wait. All right, David, you refer to me as sheep. I get that. Sheep are dumb. (laughs) I can be dumb at times. I get that. You want to call me sheep? You're my shepherd? I get that. But honored guest? At the table of the king of all kings? The, The table of the creator of the universe? No. No, that's no. I'm not worthy. Exactly. We are not None of us are worthy of this. That's what makes this so astounding. Look at the text again, verse 5. Who is preparing the table? You? Me? Who's preparing the table? God. says, the Lord, you prepare the table. When you have people over, usually you have friends over, right? And when you have people over, you're cleaning up the house, you're getting everything ready, you, you clear the table. If you're like us, you have all your files and documents and toys and everything on the table. You've got to clean that out and put it in a trash bag or something, hide it away in a back room. And you set the table. You make it look nice because you're preparing it for friends. That's, that, this is what you do. Friends share meals with each other. And this is a personal invitation extended as friends, which is ex- it's accentuated by the contrast of enemies in this verse. And so by faith in Jesus, not only are we his sheep, not only do we belong to him, by faith in Jesus, we are friends of God. Think about that. Come on, folks. Bethel, listen. We are friends of God. Amen? We go from sheep to friends, and that is awesome. I realize I use the word awesome a lot. Like if I go to Rosati's and get some pizza, I'm like, hmm, this pizza is awesome. I way overuse that, that word. But this is awesome. It says the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We dine with the king as our enemies just 
watch in contempt. The only way that this happens is if the Lord has won the victory for us. It's the only way that happens. This means our enemies can do nothing to us. They pose no threat. If they did, if if our enemies posed a threat and they're surrounding us as we're eating, we would not be eating. We'd be standing up, right? We'd be on guard. We'd be standing ready to fight. But if you're eating in the presence of your enemies, you're relaxed. You're calm because you've already won. Back in the day, sometimes the victorious king would have his generals, would have his servants, all the people over for this massive, colossal, decadent, succulent feast. And they would dine at the table as their enemies were chained up and watching. It was the ultimate act of victorious gloating. Like, hey, enemy. Mm. Oh, this turkey leg is so good. (laughs) You want some? No. You know, it was just total gloating. And we dine in the presence of our enemies. Who are our ultimate enemies? Sin, Satan, and death. And the enemies of sin and Satan were defeated by Jesus on the cross. Amen? And the enemy of death was defeated at Jesus' resurrection. So at best, these enemies, sin, Satan, and death, watch as we dine with the victorious king and they're helpless to do anything about it. We just sang it earlier, oh, trample death, where is your sting? I love some trash talk. That's some trash talk right there. What you got now, death? Nothing, because Jesus has defeated you, and now he shares his victory with us. How awesome is that? He anoints my head with oil. You know, in ancient times, when they would crown a king or commission a prophet or promote a servant, they would anoint his head with oil, olive oil, and it would come down his forehead like a soothing salve. It was this special, unique privilege to be anointed. Symbolically, they would be bestowing on you a great blessing. That's what it meant. And so God is anointing us for his service. He's bestowing on us the blessing of his presence. And then it says, my cup overflows. At the banquet table, they would fill the cup with drink. But for a cup to overflow, that means they just keep filling and filling and filling, right? If you're at a restaurant and they're filling your your class with water, and they're like, all right, say when, and you're just like, you don't say anything. And if they just keep pouring and pouring, it's overflow, and first of all, that'd be weird. They're probably not going to get a good tip. But God is filling our cup, and it's overflowing, and he can fill our cup because The supply of drink is abundant. It is bountiful. God's supply of grace and blessing is infinite. And he can keep pouring and pouring and pouring, and we will never be lacking. We have all the grace we could possibly need through Jesus. Verse 6. So God is our shepherd. God is our host. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, how long? Forever. So God is my eternal companion. It says goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives because God is with us. The word for mercy here is the Hebrew word chesed. By the way, to speak Hebrew, you got to use a lot of phlegm, right? So everyone say that with me, chesed. Don't spit on your neighbor in front of you. Chesed. Chesed 
is it's a powerful word. In fact, some of your translations may say steadfast love, so goodness and steadfast love, or goodness and loving kindness. But it's this word we don't have in English at all. Chesed is seen by many Jewish theologians and philosophers as the chief of all virtues. It's the primary virtue. And so a good working definition of chesed is this. It's the consistent, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of our Father God. That's a mouthful. Let me say that again. It's the consistent, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of our Father God. Chesed. What a beautiful picture of unconditional grace. And we get to dwell in the house of the Lord and his love and grace forever. This is not temporary. His love does not run out. If you are in Christ, nothing can break his love for you forever. Not even death can break this relationship with the Lord, our shepherd, our host, our eternal companion. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, okay, Jared, this sounds great. It sounds all very nice. But I am right now in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And I don't see a way out. Going back to verse 4, here's the important thing to remember. It doesn't say even though I walk, or excuse me, even though I stay in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, even though I am permanently planted in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, what does it say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We go through, folks, this valley of the shadow of death will not and does not last forever. Blessing always follows burden. Verses 5 and 6 follow verse 4. And maybe now, maybe right now, you can't even fathom being at the Lord's table. You can't even fathom your cup overflowing. You can't even fathom your soul being restored. You can't even fathom being anointed by oil, dwelling forever with the Lord as our companion because you are thick in the darkness. But we don't serve a God who cannot sympathize with us. Hebrews says we serve a God who can sympathize with our every weakness, our every temptation, our every circumstance that we ever go through. Because Jesus has been there, done that, he's lived it. He's been there. He has been in the valley of the shadow of death, and he has come through both figuratively and literally. He has conquered the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, he calls himself the good shepherd. And as a good shepherd, he never stops caring for us, never stops pursuing us, never stops loving us, providing for us, restoring us, leading us, sustaining us especially in the midst of dark times. Because darkness is where light shines the brightest. Friends, listen, Jesus never gives up. He does not give up. And he says in John 10, 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life. For my sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of Psalm 23. And the ultimate shepherd laid down his life for us. 
Listen to this. I want to read Psalm 23, but I'm going to substitute Jesus in here as appropriate. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Jesus is with me. His rod and staff comfort me. Jesus prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Jesus forever. Isn't he a good shepherd, folks? For Jesus to be your shepherd, he must be your Lord and Savior by faith. Perhaps you're here today and you are completely dissatisfied with the world. You're dissatisfied with your life. You have no peace, no contentment, no hope, and you long for something more. Listen, you are made for so much more. And Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our weary souls because we were designed to be, we were designed to need him. We were designed to need our shepherd as sheep. And so here's what I want you to do. Let's stand one more time. And I want us to, to quote Psalm 23 out loud together. If you know it, if you have it memorized, you can close your eyes and say it as a prayer. But I really want us to pray this as a prayer of thanksgiving, all of us. And, and just thank God for Jesus, our good shepherd, our host, our eternal companion. If you don't have it memorized, you can read it at the screen. But let's, let's do that right now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, you are so good. And we thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd. Help us to depend on him, to lean on him as sheep in your flock. Thank you that we belong to you that we can call you our friend, and that we get to dwell forever and ever and ever and ever with you. God, that is blessing that is too good to put into words. So Lord, we thank you. And I pray that everyone in here would understand your grace and realize that if there is anyone in here who does not yet know your grace and love, that today would be that day of salvation. Thank you for all that you are and all that we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Everybody said, amen.